Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks so much indeed, uh, Josh, for leading us in prayer. Thanks so much, Annika, for reading. As Daniel said, we, this is the termination of a mini-series, but actually it's been, this mini-series has been part of a, uh, a mega-series uh, when we started in Psalm 1 uh, last century, well before uh, Joshua and Annika were born. Someone told me, it could have been 1993. Um, can anyone, was anyone there? Is anyone there? Does anyone know who preached? Who preached? Okay, thank, thank you. Um, as Annika read that psalm, did you get to grips with the theme of the psalm? After spending hours poring over it this week, I finally concluded it was... The theme is praise, that we should praise the Lord. If you're wondering how I managed to reach that conclusion, it's based upon the first three words and the last three words of the psalm and the fact that every verse has at least two summons to praise. There are 13 summons to praise in the whole psalm. Let me pray as we uh, look at this. Dear Father God, we just again thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity we have each week of coming here, of worshipping you, of praising you. And Father, we just pray that you will help me as I um, speak on this, on this psalm, this wonderful psalm, Father. Help us to all be attentive, Father, and that we might have the desire to learn from it. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, so the message is quite straightforward. And as I was preparing, I had a great thought that perhaps if I spoke for five minutes, we could then have 20 minutes of practical application. Um, but I didn't have the courage to go through that, and I didn't know actually when it came to dancing. There's a lack of guidance on whether we need to cover our faces whilst dancing here. Uh, so I decided that we wouldn't uh, go with that. Uh, so that may be the good news for some, that there'll be no dancing. Um, the fact that I should be talking for more than five minutes will be bad news for you all. But Psalm 150 is the last of the five Hallelujah Psalms. And you won't need to be reminded that Hallelujah derives from three Hebrew words. Hallel meaning praise, Lu meaning you, and Yah, an abbreviation of uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. So praise the Lord which is the translation we get in the uh, NIV. But not only does Psalm 150 uh, bring to a close the collection of the Hallelujah Psalms, 
Uh, it also brings to a close the fifth book uh, of the Psalms. The, the Psalms are broken down into five books. Uh, the fifth book uh, began with Psalm 107. So Psalm 150 uh, brings to a close these Hallelujah Psalms, uh, book five, and the entire book of Psalms. And the composition of the Psalms is quite interesting. The majority of the Psalms of sadness, of lament, of suffering, of pain and sorrow, trouble, appear in the earlier books. And as you move through the book of Psalms, those Psalms of lament begin to give way to Psalms of joy and thanksgiving and praise and exhilaration. And most of the Psalms in that final book, five, are Psalms of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, Book five begins quite sedately with an exhortation to give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. But as you move through book five, the temperature and pace rise, and you get an increasing crescendo of praise and thanks and joy and rejoicing. And finally, you reach the pinnacle of the Psalms, this final psalm, which is pure, unadulterated praise. Uh, I picked up this comment from the Bible teacher, John MacArthur, and he's commented on the Psalms. In the Psalms, you really see the path of the believer's life from suffering to glory, the path of the believer's life from pain to praise. And he continues, Psalm 150 is, in a real sense, the culmination of the glory, the hope, and the praise which should be in the hearts of the people of God. This is the peak when you've come through all the valleys of life and all the pain of life, and you've ascended and climbed all the way up to the peak of praise, and you're on top, as it were, of Everest, looking down over everything below you. You're at Psalm 150, pure praise. So let us look at the psalm. Uh, It's very brief, and it answers very succinctly uh, the questions where, why, and how, and who should praise the Lord. So first, where are we to praise the Lord? In his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. The Hebrew word for sanctuary means literally a place set apart And it's generally used in the Bible to refer to a specific place where believers gather to worship the Lord. The psalmist probably had in mind the temple in Jerusalem. Throughout the scriptures, God makes it clear that he intends that believers should regularly assemble for corporate praise and worship. And every time we gather together, praise must be at the very heart of our reason for gathering. David wrote in Psalm 122, let us go to the house of the Lord. That is where the tribes go up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. I'm challenged by that. Do I always rejoice at the thought of coming here each Sunday? Uh, I think I do. Well, mostly unless I'm preaching. But what I do know is that I never fail to rejoice when I leave. And again, not because I'm anxious to get home, but because I've spent time with you 
my brothers and sisters, in praising the Lord. Did I grieve every Sunday when we were not able to meet here? To be honest, perhaps not in the way I should have done. What does grieve me is hearing Christians say that they do not see a need to meet for corporate praise and worship. They're absolutely right to say that they can praise God alone at home and we should all do that 24-7. But they're absolutely wrong to say that God is satisfied with that alone. And secondly, the psalm tells us we are told to praise the Lord in his mighty heavens. There seems to be a divergence of view on what is intended by mighty heavens. It can either mean what Paul referred to as the third heaven, the place where God dwells with his angels and with all believers who have passed from this life, or based upon other translations, it can refer to the entire expanse of God's power, which means everywhere. My own view, which may not count for much, is that it refers to heaven, the dwelling place of God. Obviously, we can and should praise God everywhere, but I think the psalmist in this psalm is emphasising corporate praise, where we meet together. Isn't it great to be reminded that our praise here blends with the praise of the vast multitude in heaven, including those who have previously Praise the Lord here in this place, some alongside us. And we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can look forward to the day when we are part of that immense multitude. So let's move on and look at why. The reasons the psalmist gives us for praising the Lord. And there are two reasons, for his acts of power and for his surpassing greatness. Two main things have occupied my mind this past week. Uh, That was until Wednesday when the third test match started, or second test match started. Uh, That became a third thing which occupied my mind. If you've no idea what a test match is, do ask me afterwards. I will take great pleasure in boring you. But the two main things were Psalm 150 and the events in Kabul. My mind was being torn between praise the Lord and these words from Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. I think this highlights a dilemma for many of us. How can we praise God when in our natural state we are so overwhelmed with circumstances that we don't feel like praising the Lord? When we witness such evil as we're seeing in Afghanistan or when life for us personally is pretty painful. Interestingly, the psalmist doesn't talk about when we should praise, so the inference is that there is no time 
not to praise him. So I think we need to focus on the reasons here that the psalmist gives us for praising the Lord. Firstly, for his acts of power, or as other translations put it, his mighty deeds or acts. We're to look back at what God has done, his two mighty deeds above all others, his creation and his plan of redemption. However shaken we are by the evil in this world and by the troubles and struggles we may have to endure personally, we should be driven to praise God by the wonder of his creation. The creation around us and the creation of the human body, it is quite fantastic, as we all know. And of course we should be driven to praise him when we remember that God sent Jesus to die the most horrendous death to pay the penalty for our sins. And that he chose to reveal that truth to us so that we who know the Lord Jesus are on that narrow road of life and that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. We must resist all the attempts of Satan to keep us focused on the trials of this life that would cause us to hold back from praising God. Rather, we must focus on the words of the Apostle Peter. He reminded the exiled believers that they had every reason to praise the Lord despite their persecutions and the trials that they were going through. He wrote to the believers in his first letter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Let us keep praising the Lord for the fact that one day we shall meet him face to face. Secondly, we're told to praise the Lord because of his surpassing greatness. The psalmist here doesn't expand on this term, surpassing greatness, for the entire book of Psalms is scattered with the qualities and attributes that make the Lord so great. If it's some time since you read through the Psalms, I would encourage you, perhaps this autumn term, to to begin to do that. Uh, A few verses each day. I I would encourage you, perhaps, to start with Book 4, Psalm 90, and to go through to Psalm 150. I know that many Christians over their entire life have made it a habit to read a portion from the Psalms every day alongside other scriptures. It's a pretty good habit to start and to establish and to continue with. And so we're to praise God for his mighty deeds, especially in creation and for creating us. And we are to praise God for who he is. Are we sure that these are always our reasons for praising God? 
Is there a danger that we might praise God to make us feel good? When we praise God, we should definitely feel good, for it's a good and joyous act and an act of obedience. But that must never be our motive. Is there a danger that we praise God ahead of our petitions in the belief that we can manipulate him? The more we praise, the more likely he will give us what we desire. Is that a trap that we can fall into? The more we have on our wants list, or the more desperate there are things that we want the Lord to provide for us, the more we might praise him. It's something to need, we need to guard against. What are our true motives? When I used to visit in prisons, I had a sense at times when I saw some of the guys praising the Lord, it might be a feeling that the more they praised, the more readily the Lord will excuse their sin. When we praise the Lord, let it be all about him, no strings attached, an outpouring of our love for him as we recognise his mighty deeds and his surpassing greatness. Can I ask a, a personal question which you don't need to answer publicly? Do you like to praise the Lord 24-7, for example, or when he has kept that one special parking space for you and the best parking space, especially for you? Do you cry out, praise the Lord? Or when Waitrose have put your favourite dog biscuits on special offer just for you, is that another time to praise the Lord? I've met, I suppose we've all met these praise the Lord people. It's absolutely right that we should recognise God's goodness in the small, everyday things of life and be thankful. But let us take care not to trivialise our praise, not to use those words praise the Lord like the vain repetitions that Jesus condemned when he was speaking of the Pharisees. So we move on to how, how we are to praise the Lord. I must confess that being, I was a little surprised that three verses are given to the how of praise. Perhaps it's because I'm not a musician. If Andrew had been preaching this evening rather than Psalm 149 last week, he would have probably expressed surprise that music didn't feature in all six verses. But perhaps it's not surprising when we think, uh, consider that music plays such an important part in the expression of praise by God's people. It's perhaps not surprising it's given such prominence right at the end of this book of psalms or praises. Interestingly, the Greek verb from which the noun psalms comes basically denotes the plucking or twanging of strings. So in effect, musical accompaniment was implied. And of course, two of the most prominent leaders of God's people in the Old Testament uh, were songwriters. Uh, David was such a prolific writer. Nearly half the psalms are attributed to him. And Moses, uh, three of his songs are recorded in the Bible. And perhaps we ought to give mention to Solomon who wrote a mere thousand songs. Of course, music 
is so crucial to the expression of our emotions. We thank God for his gift of music and for equipping people throughout history. I think it's just somebody mentioned to me this morning, reminded me that one of the the last hymn we sang was written over a hundred years ago. And many of the hymns that we do sing are written centuries ago. And we thank the Lord for great songwriters, for those who wrote music to accompany those songs. And we thank God for those who had the gifts and used their gifts of playing music to support the praising of the Lord. Sadly, you do encounter musicians and singers whose motive seems to be to promote themselves rather than honour the Lord. In a church I attended many years ago, when pipe organs were fashionable and music groups and bands were definitely not, I recall one particular organist. He gained immense pleasure from playing the organ, as do most organists, of course. His wife would not allow him to build a, a pipe organ into his, in her home. And so he loved Sundays and any other days he could get to the church uh, to practice playing. I would not wish to quote it, to question his motive for playing. I'm sure he loved leading the congregation in praising the Lord, but I sensed that he enjoyed being the sole musician. There seemed to be a sense of pride that meant that he would not be happy to share the platform with others. He wanted to be seen, literally, and I think to be acknowledged too as the one and the only one who led the music. How sad it is when occasionally you encounter that situation. I don't think that uh, we don't have many organists around these days, but even with lead musicians and lead singers, I think in some of the mega churches it worries me. Uh, I wonder whether they are seeking to promote themselves rather than to lead uh, the people, the gathered people, in the worship of the Lord. I'll say nothing more about uh, music and the instruments other than the fact that those mentioned in verses 3 and 5 are definitely not compulsory for today. But clearly they were the instruments in common use then. And many of us are thankful that we have guitars and a violin rather than the clashing and resounding of too many cymbals. And finally, in verse 6, who is to praise the Lord? Everything that has breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, in Psalm 148, that had a call to the whole of creation to praise the Lord. Here, although it says everything, I think there can be little doubt that the focus is on, is on man. Whilst God lo- longs that all men and w- women should praise him and fall before him and worship him, no one can truthfully do that unless they know the Lord. No one can truthfully praise the Lord unless they acknowledge God as their Lord. Reading this very last verse in the Psalms, I was reminded of the very first verse in the Psalms. 
Um, as I've already mentioned, I think it was in 1993 um, when we had that first sermon uh, through this series of the Psalms. And Andrew and Ella were present. Many of you will be familiar with the opening verses of Psalm 1. I think we have those on the screen. If we could. Psalm 1 begins, the book of Psalms uh, begins with these two verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. It is only those who delight in the law of the Lord, who by God's spirit within them are able to praise the Lord. And Psalm tells us, Psalm 1 tells us what we know to be true by experience. We are blessed, greatly blessed, if we delight in the law of the Lord and know what it means to praise him. We are enormously blessed. If you felt uncomfortable about this call to praise the Lord for the very reason that you're not comfortable with praising God, may I encourage you to speak to someone. Perhaps you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, in which case uh, it is difficult to identify with this psalm and this call to praise him. As we close, almost, let me quote two verses from Colossians which have remained with me from our recent studies in our small and local groups. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We know from Paul's writings that despite all that he suffered, he overflowed with thankfulness to God. He clearly responded to that call to praise the Lord. Let us follow his example. What I'd like us to do, um, I've just, I went through a few of the Psalms and picked out some of the, the reasons, some of the attributes of, of God, of the Lord. And I just thought as we put them on the screen, it would be good to, to share these together. Can I suggest that we uh, say these together? Um, can I suggest before each bullet, we say, I praise you, Lord, and then uh, We share that together. Thank you. I praise you, Lord, when I consider your heavens, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. I praise you, Lord, for none can compare with you. Your deeds are too many to declare. I praise you, Lord, for I have beheld your power and your glory. On this slide, can I just suggest that we say, I praise you, Lord, because, and then we say, because, for those remaining four, uh, before those uh, last four bullets. I praise you, Lord, 
because you are my Saviour, because you are righteous, because you are merciful, because your love is unfailing, because your word is right and true. I praise you, Lord, because you are faithful in all you do, because your anger is only momentary, because you are my strength and shield, because you are my rock and fortress, because you'll never forsake me. just like to finally finish by reading a few words from a, a 19th century uh, scholar, um, a guy called uh, Albert Barnes. And I just uh, love these words that he, uh, he wrote on this Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Thus, at the end of all the trials, the conflicts, the persecutions, the sorrows, the joys recorded in this book, the psalmist gives utterance to feelings of joy, triumph, transport, rejoicing. And thus, at the end of all, when the affairs of this world shall be closed, when the church shall have passed through all its trials, shall have borne all its persecutions, shall have suffered all that it is appointed to suffer, when the work of redemption shall be complete, and all the ransomed of the Lord shall have been recovered from sin and shall be saved. That church, all heaven, the whole universe, shall break forth in one loud, triumphant, Hallelujah. And can you guess what I feel like saying? Praise the Lord. I don't think Andrew had a difficult task in uh, choosing our our final uh, hymn this evening. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh,